Hi, this is Steve with Thresher Media Group. Welcome to When You're Ready to Listen. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the truth about God, things you may not have understood, may not have been taught, or quite frankly, had a very hard time believing. And since our entire relationship with God rests on believing, it is important we learn how to separate the truth from the many lies and fictions that abound within the religion of Christianity. So when you're ready to listen, tune in and discover a pathway to freedom, encouragement, life, and hope. Episode 35, Revelation 2, verses 18 through 29, part 2, The Church at Thyatira. Overall theme 1, the Word of God must be our ultimate authority. Overall theme 2, God really does hate religion all the unauthorized things done in his name. Let's read our text as adjusted for the code. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18 through 29. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, The Son of God, who is now having eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like burnished bronze, now says this, I know your deeds, and your agape love, and faith, and service, and perseverance, and that your deeds of late greater than at first. But I now have this against you that you now tolerate the woman Jezebel, who is now calling herself a prophetess. And she now teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she is now not determined to repent of her immorality. Behold, I now throw her on a bed and those who are now committing adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches will choose to know that I am he who is now searching the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not now hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they now call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you now have, you're commanded to hold fast until where I may come. And the one who is now overcoming, and the one now keeping my deeds until the end, To him, I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are now caused to be broken to pieces, as I also have received from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who is now having an ear to hear, they are commanded to hear what the Spirit now says to the churches. In our last podcast, we discussed the issue of the abuse of spiritual gifts, in specific prophecy and how Jezebel used her gifting to gain power over the people. Let's pick this story back up and discuss the consequences of her leadership. Compromise. And she now teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. It is not entirely clear what Jezebel conveyed to these believers, but what is clear is that she taught them and led them to commit fornication, idolatry, and to eat meat sacrificed to idols, to take benefit from someone or something that God has not authorized in their lives. Both teach and lead astray are in the present tense. It's happening even now. But when we get to commit immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols, the code suddenly switches to the aorist tense. The switch in code reveals that one does not just suddenly take a dive towards compromise or apostasy. It is not so much a now event, a sudden event. Rather, over time, we are conformed to the idea of compromise by what we are taught and how we are led. 
If we are now allowing heretical teaching into our lives, it may not happen today or tomorrow, but eventually we will find that we have gone astray, are committing immorality, and are eating things sacrificed to idols. The use of the aorist tense speaks of a gradual progression until compromise becomes a fixed part of our lives that defines our lives. Given the historical background of Jezebel, we can put together a rational guess as to what this prophetess might teach. We know there were no temples of notoriety in Thyatira, but there were the trade guilds covering every aspect of practical life. The inference is that Jezebel likely heard from God that it was okay for believers to participate in these guilds. After all, they had to feed their families. They had to make a living. And God does not want them to be irresponsible and let their wives and children suffer for suffering's sake over some legalistic religious notion. They are free and are free to do what is necessary to live. And even if they are required to pledge allegiance to these gods and participate in the secret ceremonies of the guilds, they could, in effect, cross their fingers behind their backs. After all, God sees and he understands, and he knows the true intent of their hearts. Therefore, he will not hold it against them. Now, there is a story in the Codex that might have given some oomph to this message. Naaman, a captain of the kingdom of Aram, was healed of leprosy through the prophet Elisha. Upon this healing, Naaman became a believer and he asked Yahweh to pardon him because he was still subject to his king and would have to accompany his king into the temple of Rimnon and allow this king to lean on him while he, the king, bows and worships there. And God told Naaman, go in peace. So there is a biblical example that they could rely on. Besides, those in Thyatira were only doing what good, responsible Christians should do, taking care of their families. After all, God said, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And if the story of Naaman and the passage were a part of this woman's teaching, they had their biblical justification. Notwithstanding, it is clear from Jesus' perspective that every dime they made to feed their families was, in effect, an unauthorized taking of things sacrificed to idols, and their pledge to their guild gods were acts of immorality. Discerning the will of God No one likes to suffer, especially when the choices that are made in faith result in others suffering along with us, be it a spouse, children, family members, friends, or other believers. That is a heavy burden to carry and it just might have been too overwhelming for those in Thyatira. Thus, they were likely looking for a biblical way around the issue. It is wonderfully nice to have a way out of the pain, a way out of the trouble, and the prophetic words of Jezebel likely offered these believers a compromise that was based in Scripture and which made sense for their suffering minds. And so they tolerated Jezebel and had learned the ways of immorality and eating things sacrificed to idols. They may not have known the word, but they did know the one who is the word, the living word of God. Jesus promised that his spirit, who leads into all truth, would lead us in all truth. He desires us to come into such a deep and intimate relationship with him that we would be led in all truth and only do what he wants us to do when he wants us to do it. That may seem like an impossibility, but that is how Jesus lived with his father. John 5, 19 through 20. Truly I say to you, the son can now do nothing of himself unless it is something he now sees the father now doing. 
For whatever the Father now does, these things the Son also now does in like manner. For the Father now loves the Son and now shows him all things that he himself now does. And the Father will show him greater works than these, so that you will now marvel. John 8, 28 through 29. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will choose to know that I am he. And I now do nothing on my own initiative, but I now speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is now with me. He has not left me, for I always now do the things that are pleasing to him. John 12, 49 through 50. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is now eternal life. Therefore, the things I now speak, I now speak just as the Father has told me. Jesus desires us to follow his example. The one who says he abides in him ought to himself walk in the same manner as he walked. The point being is that there are many things we can do with biblical justification, but it does not mean that is what Yahweh wants for us at any given time. We need to learn how the Spirit leads us in truth and then only do what he is now leading us to do when he is leading us to do it. This is the truth that sure could have helped those in Pergamum who were taking from relationships that were Christian in name only and not relationships that were authorized by the Father. Going back to the beginning, Jesus introduced himself as the Son of God with eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. Personalizing this, Jesus wants us to be assured that he sees everything, every little detail, including all our suffering and all the difficult situations this world throws at us. And if we will wait on him to deliver us from trouble, he will bring judgment against our foes. However, if we continue in idolatry, he will bring judgment against us. This is the message to the churches. If we will wait on him to deliver us from trouble, he will bring judgment against our foes. If we continue in idolatry, he will bring judgment against us. Time to repent. Revelation 2.21 I gave her time to repent, and she has now not determined to repent of her immorality. As we studied with the letter to Pergamum, repentance is not a sudden in the now event. It's a process by which we let God change how we view things and let him transform our minds such that the truth becomes aligned in our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength until that truth becomes our truth. Repentance, therefore, is a lifestyle adjustment, a way of life where we come into agreement with God's perspective of things, and we choose to walk in the direction opposite to the way we had been going. Accordingly, repent here is rendered in the aorist tense, again, speaking of a lifestyle. But Jezebel does not now even have the desire to repent. She probably does not feel the need. The phrase, now not determined, could also be interpreted as she has no desire, she will not, or she is not disposed to. God gave Jezebel time to make this lifestyle change, and she not only refused, but she was not interested in his offer. She had no desire to repent. Sadly, when we have bought into our own godliness, like the apostasy of Cain, have become deceived by our giftedness and deluded by the gratitude of those around us, like the apostasy of Balaam, and are convinced that we know what is best for others, like the apostasy of Korah, and we have it all justified by Scripture, we are now not having ears to hear what the Spirit now says. Next comes judgment. Judgment, Revelation 2.22. 
Behold, I now throw her on a bed and those who are now committing adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. It's a good thing that I adjusted for the code so we can get an accurate reading. It is not clear why most translators substitute the present tense for the future tense. It's not, I will throw her on a bed, suggesting something that is coming, but being rendered in the present tense, he is now doing this. I now throw her. And being in the indicative mood, it is to be understood as a statement of fact. And Jezebel is not alone. The spirit lassos in those who are now committing adultery with her. The point is that he is now bringing judgment. And this judgment is with a very defined purpose to urge them to choose to repent. Hence the image of the one with the feet of judgment, like burnished bronze. Moreover, the use of the present tense and the participle makes it clear that this message is not just for those in Thyatira, but it speaks to all the churches in our now. He is now bringing judgment. The Greek word translated as throw is to be understood more or less as a violent or intense action. Most of your translations read, I will throw her on a bed of sickness. However, in the Greek, there's no reference, much less an inference to sickness. This is something the translators added. Rather, in priceless sarcasm, which some may find crass, this prophetess who teaches people how to commit immorality is cast on a bed, along with those who are now committing adultery with her, as that is where the sexually immoral, which is code for idolatry, are quite comfortable performing their deeds. The word play here is significant. The bed is the place where immorality takes place, and so it functions as an image or code for the world of Christianity. He will throw them violently on this bed of religion. Think of it this way. I'm sure you've all heard the stories of parents who caught their kids trying to smoke their first cigarette, and so they made them smoke the whole pack of cigarettes, resulting in their kid getting violently sick, throwing up, and all that. The goal was to make the act of smoking so repulsive that they would never again venture down that path. This is what seems to be imaged in the wordplay. And given that God took it to the level of adultery, I mean, beyond just immorality, we must know that this is very personal. They have cheated on him with this woman and other gods. Hence this horrifying judgment to be violently thrown down into a bed of great tribulation. Those who are now teaching and leading people to trust in anything other than God for every detail of their lives, and he used the scriptures to garnish their following of faithful ones who love to lift these leaders up to a place of prominence, effectively as substitutes for God, they will face great tribulation, as will those who follow them. This is a terrifying statement on multiple levels. What was physically experienced by those in Thyatira in terms of them being thrown on a bed of great tribulation, I cannot say, but I'm sure it was terrible and horrific. But what it means to those in our now, that I can say, and it is not pretty. Said another way, they will face the second death. They will not be raptured, but will face the unbridled fury and wrath of God, the great tribulation, after which they will be thrown into the lake of fire. Great tribulation is something of which we want to dig down deep in our souls and choose to now be coming out. This is how the famed 144,000 are characterized as those who dig down deep in their souls and are even now choosing to be coming out of the great tribulation. Unless they repent. It seems clear that Jezebel, this prophetess, is doomed since God gave her time to repent and she refused. But there's still time for those who follow her teaching and her leading. They can still repent of her deeds. 
Now, that unless or except is probably one of the most joyful words in this whole text. Time has run out for Jezebel. She will lie in the bed she made, but there is still time for her followers. And Yahweh is giving them a choice. The difficulty of standing against the trade guilds or whatever it is that is demanding them to compromise what they know to be true. It will be nothing compared to the bed of great tribulation. And this captures the purpose of judgment to induce them to choose to repent. He will make the act of immorality or idolatry so repulsive to them that they have a tangible reason to never venture down that path ever again. It is always better to learn by instruction than by experience. I will kill with death, Revelation 2.23. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches will choose to know that I am he who is now searching the minds and hearts, and I'll give to each one of you according to your deeds. The Greek literally says, I will kill or slay her children with death, and it's rendered in the future tense. This seems to be targeted at those followers, literally her, quote, children, who ultimately choose to not repent of their deeds or her deeds. Being rendered in the future tense, this judgment is not immediate, which indicates that God has given them time to repent, time to decide if they are children of Jezebel or children of Yahweh. Drawing from his introduction as the Son of God, it's as if Jesus is asking them, I identify as the Son of God. Are you going to identify as a Son of God? As with Ahab's sons and the prophets of Baal who followed Jezebel, Yahweh will strike, literally kill with death, her children to stop the perpetuation of her heresy and apostasy. I will kill with death is an extremely violent phrase, and it seems a bit redundant. It also does not speak to the means of their demise, but to the fundamental purpose of their demise. Jesus is speaking in code, with a layered meaning addressing both their physical and spiritual demise. But either way, it is a terrifying thing to be stomped on in judgment by his feet of burnished bronze. Physical death. Jesus speaks of their physical judgment. He will kill or destroy them. And being rendered in the indicative, we know it is a statement of fact. Whatever the means of their slaughter, it will likely be visible and unnatural enough that the churches will know for sure that Yahweh killed them and that he is the one who is now searching the minds, or literally the kidneys, and hearts and will give to each one according to their deeds. Yahweh is remarkably patient, not wanting any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But there is a time when it becomes impossible to renew someone to repentance as they have chosen to seal their own fate. And he brings real physical judgment. He kills with death, just like he did to all those he warned in Jerusalem in the book of Hebrews. He is a consuming fire, and he came like a consuming fire through the instrument of the Roman army and literally wiped the temple, much of Jerusalem, and the Levitical practice off the face of the earth. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God in judgment. Spiritual death. At the same time, he is also addressing their spiritual death. When he says, I will kill with death, he is likely addressing their spiritual experience now, as well as their eternal destiny, the second death in the lake of fire. He already mentioned the second death in his letter to Smyrna. We know that those who walk according to the flesh are even now abiding in death. It is their spiritual condition and state of existence. For the mindset on the flesh is death because the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those in the flesh cannot please God. They stand in contrast to those whose deeds are rooted in agape love. 
Thus, those who are not now loving with God's agape love now abide in death. To kill with death stands in contrast with those who hope in Yahweh, for he will deliver their soul from death. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for Yahweh. He is our help and our shield. And those who are killed with death will find that they will be subject to the terrifying second death. After all, if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, they are thrown into the lake of fire. It is a place for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with the fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That description of those who are immoral and idolaters fits all those who reject Jesus' offer of forgiveness and instead defiantly choose to not repent. They will bring the judgment on themselves. They will choose judgment. Yahweh will bring it about for sure, but he will not be doing it to them. They have chosen to abide even now in death and will choose eternal death over life. The offer to repent stands open until it doesn't. It is not too late to choose. I will kill with death the example. There is a terrifying example of this in the Codex where God kills with death. He kills his own people who do not repent from their idolatry, eating things sacrificed to idols and their immorality. Specifically, he is addressing those in Judah and Jerusalem who followed King Manasseh in blatant idolatry. Jeremiah 14, 16. So this is what Yahweh says to his people. You love to wander far from me and do not restrain yourselves. Therefore, I will no longer accept you as my people. Now I will remember all your wickedness and will punish you for your sins. Then Yahweh said to me, do not pray for these people anymore. When they fast, I will pay no attention. When they present their burnt offerings and grain offerings to me, I will not accept them. Instead, I will devour them with war, famine, and disease. Then I said, O sovereign Yahweh, their prophets are telling them all is well. No war or famine will come. Yahweh will surely send you peace. Then Yahweh said, These prophets are telling lies in my name. I did not send them or tell them to speak. I did not give them any messages. They prophesy of visions and revelations they have never seen or heard. They speak foolishness made up in their own lying hearts. Therefore, this is what Yahweh says. I will punish these lying prophets, for they have spoken in my name, even though I never sent them. They say that no war or famine will come, but they themselves will die by war and famine. As for the people to whom they prophesy, their bodies will be thrown out into the streets of Jerusalem, victims of famine and war. There'll be no one left to bury them. Husbands, wives, sons, and daughters, all will be gone, for I will pour out their own wickedness on them. Jezebel and her followers had little on those who came before her. Truly, nothing new is under the sun. Prophets prophesy lies, and people love to hear the lies, even if it means they walk in wickedness, immorality, idolatry, and blatantly turn their backs on Yahweh. But he does not lie. He does kill with death his own people who do not repent. Jeremiah 15, 1-4 Then Yahweh said to me, Even if Moses and Samuel stood before me pleading for these people, I wouldn't help them. Away with them. Get them out of my sight. And if they say to you, But where can we go? Tell them this is what Yahweh says. Those who are destined for death to death. Those who are destined for war to war. Those who are destined for famine to famine. 
those who are destined for captivity to captivity. I will send four kinds of destroyers against them, said Yahweh. I will send the sword to kill, the dogs to drag away, the vultures to devour, and the wild animals to finish up what is left because of the wicked things Manasseh, son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, did in Jerusalem. I will make my people an object of horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. This idea of his making the people an object of horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, it falls in line with the example he said he will make of those in Thyatira before all the churches. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches will choose to know that I am he who is now searching the minds and hearts, and I will give each of you according to your deeds. This should stop us in our tracks and truly consider his offer to repent. By the way, a variation on this judgment is picked up later in Revelation 13.10, where it says, If anyone now has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he now goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is now the perseverance and the faith of the saints. That they may choose to know. He will move and bring about judgment on these children of Jezebel. So all the churches, whether times past, present, or future, will choose to know that I am. He who is now searching the innermost mind and conscience of a person, literally the kidneys, and their heart is righteous and true in all his judgments because he knows all things. The eyes of fire. Again, with the whole eyes of fire imagery, we can be sure that nothing escapes his gaze, not even our innermost musings. All is laid open before him. Our every thought and intention of the heart is laid open before him. If you can imagine, the Codex tells us that he even knows what we are going to think before the thoughts surface in our mind. Even before there is a word on our tongue, he knows it. His eyes of fire are intense and piercing. The I am. And all the churches will choose to know that I am he who is now searching the minds of hearts. I love the way he snuck in his memorial name for all generations. I am. It is his way of promising that he knows what they truly need, as he is always searching out these matters. And as the I am, he is the only one capable of meeting their needs. Again, they still have time to reject the lies and look to the I am to be their sole provision for life and for godliness. He is giving them time to repent and guaranteeing the results by his name. I will give. And I will give to each of you according to your deeds. This suggests a principle that we must never forget. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Decisions we make out of fear, believing it is necessary to survive, to care for our families, to uphold the image of Christianity, and so on, it will be judged according to the standard of faith, for without faith, it's impossible to please God. With that says, he judges proportionally, according to our deeds, each one. Each child of Jezebel will stand and be judged for their own choices. It does not matter what was done to them. No one is a victim. Rather, each one has been given the opportunity to repent or to stubbornly refuse and to face judgment. It does not matter how much a person thinks they have done for God or why they did what they did, their justification of it all. Unless they avail themselves of this time to repent as a matter of lifestyle, their acts of immorality and spiritual adultery will be judged and it will be judged with death. And with something that strikes so personally at his heart as cheating on him with other lovers and eating the meat with these false gods, these children of Jezebel will probably be judged with an intensity that we just do not ever want to find out. Yahweh Kana, Yahweh, who is jealous, is a fiercely jealous God. 
and his feet are like burnished bronze. Thus he will bring a crushing judgment, a stomping and smashing on all those who have committed adultery against him, have refused to repent, refused to take him up on his offer for forgiveness. What we did versus what we are doing. Faith is a now thing. This might be a good time to interject something we should all consider. When we are judged, we are always judged based upon our deeds, what we have done. The focus is the past with the purpose of changing our future. But when it comes to faith, it is always about our now and what lies ahead. Are we now abiding? Are we now believing? Are we now loving? Are we now having hope? Are we now hearing? Are we now doing only what our Father has asked us to do? Faith is a now thing, and it always points forward to every moment of our now. Hence, we are exhorted to forget the past and look forward. Philippians 3, 12-16 I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I now press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not now achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, now choosing to be forgetting the past and now choosing to be looking forward to what lies ahead. I now press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature now agree on these things. If you now disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must now hold on to the progress we have already made. For those who are now believing, what we did for God in the past does not matter, nor are having lived in Him in the past. Those are not the laurels that we can hold on to. Likewise, what we have done wrong in the past, it does not matter at all, for faith is a now thing. Faith is measured in our now. And what are we to now be believing? Let's look at the Codex. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who now chooses to be coming to God now must believe that he now is and that he chooses to now be a rewarder of those who are now seeking him. It's all about our now defining our life. Choosing to now be believing that he now is is a throwback to him revealing himself to Moses as the Hayah, the I am, the one who is and always will be. It is essentially beholding the son for who he is and believing in the name, which is Yahweh which is, by the way, step one of our salvation. And believing that he chooses to now be a rewarder of those who are now seeking him is intended to keep us living forward in hope that if we are now believing, he will now be rewarding. That is another way to express that if we are now believing that he is our I am, then we should be living like that little child dependent upon our father for all things all the time, which, by the way, is step two of our salvation. I know that with what those in Thyatira were facing with the trade guilds and the terrible life decisions before them, and perhaps what you might be facing even now and the terrible life choices before you, it does not feel like there is much reward being passed around. Hence the temptation towards idolatry, immorality, eating things sacrificed to idols. That is why the Spirit says that we are to, in effect, set aside our feelings and choose to now be looking forward to what lies ahead, now believing that he will invade our time and space with his rewards, whatever he chooses those to be. Yahweh is our I am, and he is a rewarder of those who are now seeking him. In fact, he gives us everything we need for life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Yes, 
He is our provision for everything we need to endure and to hold on faithful until the end. Faith is a now thing. Faith always points forward to every moment of our now. Let's stop here and we'll pick up in our next episode and explore what is the deep of Satan. To get a free download of the full written transcript with all the scripture references footnoted, please go to threshermediagroup.com. That is T-H-R-E-S-H-E-R mediagroup.com. This is Steve with Thresher Media Group. When you're ready to listen, tune in.